Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Full Time Whistle podcast. For this one, I was joined by current East Fife winger Danny Denham. Myself and Danny spoke about his journey from kicking a ball for Stirling Uni to full-time football at Livingston. Danny spoke about his career at Forfar and Arbroath under Dick Campbell, balancing football as a primary school PE teacher and starting lower league ramblings, where he shares stories from the second, third and fourth tiers of Scottish football through blogs and podcasts. Danny also spoke about the present with his fife, teaching online due to the lockdown and his plans for the future. Here it is. Right, so Danny, thank you for coming on. Uh, how's things? What, what have you been doing with yourself during lockdown? You're obviously a, a teacher, so have you been doing the, the online online learning side of things? Yeah, it's been different. I think we've all had to adapt, not just in teaching, but in most jobs, I think we've all had to adapt. And we've certainly been doing that over sort of teams and over sort of online sort of methods. And it's just trying to get the kids, keep the kids' motivation because I think kids are finding it tough to stay motivated unless they've got some kind of routine. I think a lot of the parents and that, have been, that I've been speaking to have been finding it really, really difficult. So just like we're suggesting to them, keep a routine, I'm trying to keep the same, whether that's keeping myself busy doing podcasts, writing, teaching, keeping fit, exercise has been a blessing. I've been able to get quite a lot of runs done. There's been quite a bit of competition on sort of Twitter, etc. with some people doing their 5Ks, etc. So pretty much just trying to keep busy because it's, it's, it's different. It's hard for everybody, but... It's just it's just keeping busy, keeping the mind mind busy. Otherwise, I think you'll just overthink things and get anxious. You mentioned there about keeping fit. Obviously, there's no football going on. It must be must be devastating. Obviously, as a fan myself as well, it's it's a bit cutting. But you say there about keeping fit. Um, I had Scott McLaughlin on the on on your podcast, and we had him on the uh, Top Levy as well on our podcast. I do. Um, have you have you you're saying there about the runs? Have you been anywhere near these times, or uh, just just in the five Ks and stuff? No, I've not. Listen, I've been. I've done the five k's, and the first few I did, I was sort of twenty minutes and and a half, 20, 21 minutes sort of, and then I just I sort of did it for a few more weeks till I got below twenty. I got below twenty, I got nineteen minutes fifty or something like that. And that, that was me. It's just it's just not my bag. I'm 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 over. I'm good over a a kilometre maybe. Mm-hmm. A, a good first and a good final kilometre, but the ones in between just a slog. They're no fun. But he seems to be built for that that kind of running. It's dead impressive the age he's at. But there's even guys in my team. There's Craig Watson in my team got something like 16 and a half minutes. I just I can't fathom it. But hey, we're all footballers. We're all different shapes and builds. We've all got different strengths. So I'm not even good technically, though. So I'm struggling in that department. So <laughs> I think we've all we've all got our, our, our different attributes. So I'll I'll leave the running to <laughs> the run, leave the long distance running to Scotty McLaughlin, etc. That's it's not really my bag. So um, I think probably the best place to start, I'll, I'll take you back to your early days. I um, believe you were a Hearts fan growing up. Yeah, right. massive Hearts fan, massive Hearts fan. Go, go to games and things, is that your sort of earliest memories of football? Yeah, in terms of spectating, I remember going with my dad, massive Hearts fan. My mum said we're all hibs, but my mum not interested. So I went with my dad uh, to pretty much every home game from about five or six onwards. Um, and then away games as well. And I think... I got to the stage where you don't want to be going to the game with your, your dad. It's not cool anymore when you're like 13, 14. So yeah. I was started going with my pal from school and that's probably when I was, when I was most into it, probably 14, 15 hearts. It was George Burley's heart side, the one that had for 10 games anyway. I had Romanoff had just came in. I had Rudy Scatchel's first spell and Hartley and Presley. And it was, I just, I was fully into it and, and, and loved it. I absolutely loved supporting hearts. Well, but what about the playing side then? Um, obviously you mentioned spectating there. Were you, were you at Hearts as a, as a kid or? Yeah, I just, so I, I was at 
different boys clubs in Edinburgh and then uh, I went along, I think Carts asked if I could come along. I went along, I was nine or ten I think and I stayed for a few years but um, I was no, I was never one of the better ones in that team. I wasn't. I, I I think I knew myself when I got released that it was I was young, thirteen or fourteen. That I knew the writing was on the wall. I was tiny, wasn't as physically capable as uh, these boys, and probably not as good technically. So when I got released, I knew the writing was on the wall. And I just kind of played for fun more than anything. I think even when I was young, I just loved it. Just just loved after school on a Friday, go go and play pairs with my mates, headers and volley. Playing for the absolute love of it, I think that's what everybody gets into it for. So uh, you mentioned there about getting released. Is that does your head go down a wee bit, and then are you starting to focus more towards going to uni and things? You obviously went to uni as you got older, but uh, you know, kids kids always dream about being a footballer when they when they grow up. But are you were you more focused on your studies, and then football was just a bonus? Kind of, yeah. I mean. As soon as I got released from Hearts, football was, it just seemed like a pipe dream. It was never something that I thought that I would, from that moment onwards, really, really um, accomplish. So it was just, it was just playing for the fun of it and then getting on with life, getting on with studies. Uni, my mum went and dad both went to university. So that was kind of the route they wanted me to go down and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You would have been useless at sort of trades and stuff like that. And I know I wouldn't, I'm still rubbish at DIY around the house. So I'd be, I'd be useless at some of that stuff. So I'd be doing a, 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 everything to go to university, pretty average student. I managed to sneak in to sports studies at Stirling University. And I still played football and I was at Edinburgh City. Um, good level, like boys club level, good level, like competed with Spartans, etc. I mean, a really good side. Before Edinburgh City were a professional uh, team in the, in the leagues. Mm-hmm. With a really good sort of youth team that ended up a lot of the players went on to that first team and went with Edinburgh City all the way to the leagues and most of them are no longer there. But even then, I didn't, I didn't sort of see football as a viable viable option. And then once at university, I think I just grew a bit, got a bit more physical um, and got a scholarship on the, on, the, on the back of them seeing me for Edinburgh City against Sterling. It's just a coincidence. They played in the same league. And the, listen, it made me... I was getting paid from Edinburgh City first team, like something like 200 quid a year, like just nothing. Just just so you can say to your pals, yeah, I get paid to play football rather than, yeah. rather than you're paying to play football. So just one of them things that you could, little tags that you could brag about. But then I went to Sterling and they sort of said to pay for my rent, pretty much a bit of my rent. And it was, it was a huge thing rather than, I wasn't even thinking about this is a pathway into the professional game at the time. I was just thinking that, this is this is a good option. I don't have to go home from Stirling to Edinburgh every Saturday to play. I can just play here, um, and it's probably the the best decision ever made. You, you did very well at Stirling, I believe. Um, successful there, winning the East of Scotland League. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We um, had a really good team. We had a, a. I think we just got lucky with the crop we had in terms of. They do put a, mu- a lot of money into that and sort of looking for players down south for the exit trials and they bring a few up, but a lot of them tend to not really settle from my experience. But there was a few that, that did and really stood out and just bought into the whole thing. And In terms of the players I was playing with, technically better than anything I've ever experienced, a guy from FC Basel called Abraham Keller, I still remember him. I've not used to hit the ball like Ronaldo, it's a free kicks. Like hit the valve and it was it used to just move everywhere and there was players like him across the place and they had a big squad and we were able to compete in the university leagues and in the 
low, it was called East of Scotland League at the time. And we were able to compete. There was about 60 games or something like that. It was a lot of games. We had a big squad. But we had so much quality in that team. And training, sort of, we trained sort of full-time. Um, well, not full-time. Four days a week, but um, not as much as a full-time side. We'd probably train, probably not as many hours. But it definitely developed me as a player. Initially, I was probably in and out of the team. And then the second season where we won the league, I was a big part of it. Scored 20-plus goals. And um, no, it was, a great, it was a great time because... I think a lot of players that come up from different routes usually come down from the professional sort of top academies and come down to the lower leagues, whereas I went the other way. Mm-hmm. I got to experience sort of nights out. As you all know, university are big, a big part of it, you know, socialising. And you got to do that on a Wednesday after a game and a Saturday after a game. It brought you all together. And it was great, just absolute great days. Just great days. There was, a, there was no, no real pressure. There was... There's no real priorities in your life that you had to really take care of. It was just to quite enjoy yourself, football and socialising. It was probably the best times of my life. Yeah, you, you sound like you absolutely love it. What, what, is, the, what is the sort of script with, with leaving? Was it just, um, you know, your, your time at uni's up and then you, you got your move to Forfar or was it, were you still at uni as you, as you go to Forfar? No, I'd, I'd, so I'd graduated. Um, I'd graduated and I think they wanted to keep me on because you can play on a Saturday. Um, but not on a Wednesday if you're no longer a student. So I think they were wanting to, but it was never really a, an option considering I'm from Edinburgh. I didn't drive at the time. I wasn't really interested in that. And then I remember Chris and this play, played for us. He was a he played on a Saturday, but he was an analyst at Falkirk, and Stephen Presley really trusted him. And he got me a trial at Falkirk um, with a couple of other guys, and James Dale, who I've, I've got a podcast coming up. He was also involved there and a few other boys. And I went in and I did two weeks there and it was just brutal in terms of like how hard it was. It was just, I think it was just testing the mentality of boys at Falkirk and track runs and in the morning and in the afternoon it was there wasn't much ball, there wasn't much of a ball in sight and it was absolutely brutal. So the two weeks was there and I was I was more in hope that I maybe get something less and I would play for pretty much free. I was just left university. I still have mum and dad. I would have played played for, for, for nothing virtually, but I got a call from from uh, Dick Campbell at Forfar, and I don't know how much you know about about Dick Campbell, but incredible, incredible character. And I've I've told the story so many times, but when he phoned me, he was just like, "I'm going to offer you a deal because I trust my son Ross Campbell, who played for them. I trust his word because he was involved with universities, the Scottish university squad. I trust his word. I'm going to give you this deal." And it was, listen, it was peanuts, but it was money to play professional football, and I never played mm-hmm. before, so it was a great opportunity. And I said. Listen, I'm at Falkirk just now. And he was like, right, we've well, got like two days to decide. And I was just like, right, okay. And then I spoke to my dad. He was delighted. And I said to him, listen, I've got this deal. He said, you've got to ask for a bit more money. You've just got to, like, you never ever, in his business, he said, never take the first offer, ever. So I took that, that those words into my call with, with, with Dick. So I went, hello. And he was like, hello. Uh, is that Dick? And he was like, who the fuck is Dick? It's Gaffer, you son. So straight away, and on the back foot. <laughs> You have to call him the gaffer. I still call him the gaffer to this day. So straight away, I'm on the back foot, and then he goes, um, "Right, what's the script?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm keen, I'm keen, but I, I'm just at university, and how about like twenty five pound more a week?" And he was just like, "How many, how many games you played in professional football?" I was like, "None." I'm like, "Where's he getting that here?" So no goals. No, well, you've not earned the right to a fucking opinion, son. 120 quid or whatever it was, you take it or you leave it and I'll get someone else to take that contract who's more grateful. And then 
pretty much hung up the phone. So I just called him back and said, yeah, I'll take it. Brilliant. Signed, signed, signed the next day, but that's just, just how dick it is, isn't it? You, just, you, get, you get used to it as the time goes on. You know what you can and can't say, but you're absolute character. And he's, he's not changed much from, from those days. We'll, we'll come on to him a wee bit later on as well. Obviously, you, you played a fair bit of your career under him, but um, your, your first year at Forfar, he's there as well. Um, you, you started really well. Um, I believe 10 goals in about 32 games. Um, you must have been buzzing that, you, that you'd made the step up and I think Forfar got playoffs that year. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was um, like I was delighted, obviously, to get a move and step up, but I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know. I wasn't a massive fan of low league football at the time. I was an arts fan, as I say. I, didn't, I couldn't say I knew much about it and, and the characters and who's good and who's not. And I think that helped me in terms of whenever I played, I'd go into the pitch and I wouldn't know much about the other team. So I would just, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't overthink things. I'd get the ball, know what I'm good at. I was good at dribbling at the time and getting down and crosses in the box and chipping in with the odd goal. So that definitely helped me. I was fit from Stephen Price's pre-season at Falkirk and I was still fit for the uni days where we did a lot of strength and conditioning and I kind of just hit the ground running. I, I scored on my debut against Dunfermline and we won that game uh, and got man of the match. That sort of helped me, I think, because I was nervous, nervous before that game, just because mm-hmm. you just don't know what to expect. And then from then, I think the first few months, I was, I was on real good form and maybe at times got a bit ahead of myself as I say I didn't know much about who's good and who's not good and I was probably having myself a bit and um, and that probably helped me to a certain degree in the pitch but I maybe wasn't always as respectful as I as I am now but the the, the, form, the form was great um, loved that season even though I was again in and out and Dick tried to teach me a few lessons getting too big for my boots he put me in the stand for a few games and I was like what's going on here so I was again not even though I scored all figures I wasn't and I was I was maybe spent three or four games not even on the bench, um, on the, in the stand, and they'd be back in. But I absolutely loved it. It was, it was, it was, a, it was an awakening into what what uh, low league football is like. And yeah, I just absolutely loved it. So you you did very well that season, um, as I was on about there. Uh, you seemed to catch the eye of a, a couple full time clubs. Obviously, ended up moving to Livingston. But was was there any other offers on the table at the time? There wasn't any like concrete. There was. There was offers from other part-time sides. I was kind of, I'd made my mind up that I was going to leave Forfar. I felt like, even though I loved loved the gaffer at Forfar, I just feel like he didn't quite value me as much as, because I was getting offers from part-time on double the money he was going to offer me. And then there was rumours of Dundee and they sort of, there was chat, I didn't have an agent or anything. I didn't know anything about football at the time. I didn't know I have an agent, so I had sort of murmurings. And then, Steve, so Mark Burchell was assistant to uh, Richie Burke. Yeah. And Stephen Burchell was a uni coach in my first year, and I think he said, "Have a look at him." And I knew they were coming to watch me because Stevie texted me and said, "We're coming. The, the my brother's coming to watch you against Arrow." I remember it. I was nervous because from having no dreams really of playing football, or having them told when you're 13, 14, that's not going to happen, and then have this so close. This is a chance. And Livingston, when I was younger, were probably performing at the level they are now. They were performing with David Fernandez, etc. Good side, so that was my main one. He's Livingston, it was quite exciting. Didn't really know what to expect, but I remember after that game, we didn't really say anything, and then I think didn't hear anything for a bit. And then they said, Yeah, we want to meet you at Costa Coffee at the Gale. I remember that actually. Um, and met with Richie Buck and, and Mark Burchell, and I felt that even then I was just so desperate to play full time football, the money was, was rubbish. 
absolutely terrible money, but it was an opportunity to play full-time football. You train full-time, you never know what can happen. You play full-time, you might you might kick on again, you might get offered a better deal, you never know what can happen. And I remember meeting them, and Mark Butchell was quite keen, but I just felt like Richie Buck just didn't know want me. It just, it was not, it just didn't, I didn't get a good vibe, but at the end of the day, it was a chance, chance to go full-time, and... Um, I'm glad I made that glad that made that move to Livingston and took it just to see what it was like, but probably didn't work out the way that I, I would have hoped. How did you find the step up initially? Um, there's obviously some some great players there at the time. You've got you know Scoogle, McNulty, the, the Jacobs brothers, O'Brien. Um, obviously, you mentioned Burchill. I think he was playing as well, as well mm-hmm. as assistant manager. So, so how did you find that that step up? Obviously, obviously some some terrible players as well at the time, but. Um, how, how did you sort of settle in? It was settling was fine. I I I remember I turned up to pre-season. I wasn't. I was I was doing bits before pre-season, looking to get myself in shape just to make sure I was up for it. I remember playing basketball with my friend, just just being silly, and I went over my ankles for the first three or four weeks of training. I missed out in pre-season, and that pissed off. I think Richie Buck a lot. But in terms of settling in the dressing room, uh, fine, absolutely, like absolutely fine. Good set of boys. Um, good characters, experienced and, and, and younger ones. And I, n- I never had a problem in, in that regard. Uh, in terms of the quality, the, the level of quality, it was just, I think, you would play teams in League One at the time and there was noticeably weak players in the park that you could pull onto, whereas at full-time at championship level, there was no, everybody was of a decent enough standard. You had to kind of be on your game. Um, at training, everybody was, was hungry, everybody was decent. Whereas at part-time, sometimes boys come from their work and their graft and they're not quite up for training. Whereas at full-time, majority of the time, people, because it's their only focus, they're ready, they're fit, they're ready for it, um, they're sharp. That, that that was difficult. But in terms of the players, there were some some really good players. I mean, Scoogle, he had a lot of injuries at the time, didn't really get to see how good he was, but he's went on since and done really well. And Burton O'Brien, as you say, keep keep a ball off you in a phone box. He was, he was superb. And then you had mad characters like Jimmy Scott as well. He was mm-hmm. still to this day the maddest guy I've played with. Kyle Wilkie, another one. Um, Simon Menson, good leader. So there was, listen, they had a good team. We probably underperformed slightly. I think we could have made the playoffs with that, with that set of boys. But there was a lot of sort of unrest going on at the club at the time. There was, I, I, it's night and day from what Livingston is now. There was yeah. they were asking you to pay for everything. I was on peanuts. I was I was on a less than a part time wage, and they were asking you to pay for a masseuse to come in out of my wage. They were asking you to pay for your lunches if you're full time. You expect to have your lunches provided, and you ended up you end up paying more than you would get in a month if you wanted to play for Livingston at the time if you're on my wage. So and then they were bringing in loads of Slovakians or Slovenians at the time. Oh, that pissed me off because there was a lot of them that were like shit like at, they were training they were terrible and I'm busting my balls to try and get in this team every week my attitude was, was good every week banging the door I just felt like the gaffer was being forced to play these guys because I don't think he even rated them some of them were just were rubbish and I think that's probably why on reflection why we, we didn't make the playoffs that year and we sort of fell away into my table um, but it was, it was a mad year mad year I mean that the the boy uh, Proprotnik, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think his, I think his name's still engraved on the bench at Levy. Uh. <laughs> he probably got more games than me. But he was. <laughs> to be fair, um, I felt a bit sorry for some of the 
some of them because I, they couldn't speak a word of English and mm. coming over and I, I don't even think they knew what they were in for and um, I was at the age where I was just pissed off and I shouldn't have been pissed off at them because it wasn't their fault they were just coming to try and make a career for themselves but I was pissed off you had a lot of boys that were on the periphery pissed as well um, but on reflection I probably probably do feel a bit sorry for them coming over they, they weren't up to it but I don't think they even knew what they were in for uh, you you personally started all right. Um, the young, you had a couple of goals early on. Um, you, you spoke about it a wee bit there and, and on your podcast, um, which we'll speak about the podcast a wee bit later. But um, why why do you think that you know it didn't work out as as you say you would have hoped? It's hard to pinpoint one reason. I think when I first came in, obviously I said I don't think Richie Burke liked me. He was on me from the start, even on my debut. He wouldn't play me from the start before he got sat before he got sat. He made me play with the under-21s the day before the Queen of the South game, the first home game of the season. He made me play the day before. I was just like, well, we've got no strikers. Like, they're injured. Like, at least I can do a job up there. I'm a winger, but I can do a job up there. And then one of the strikers got injured at training that day. I played with the 21s on the Friday, and they said, right, you're starting on the Saturday against Queen of the South. I've just, like, I'm, I've just played 90, no, 120 minutes. We went extra time. We played Queen's Park. And I had to play in that game on the Saturday, Queen's Queen of the South, for my home debut. And I actually did well. I scored on my home debut. But like, it, just, it was just ridiculous. Didn't, didn't, that he, should, he would do that and then play me there. I think it's, to play back-to-back dates was just crazy. But then I sort of gained his confidence. And I started starting games. And then John, remember John McGlynn came in. And I love he's a great guy, but I'm not, not his type of player. He doesn't like wingers. He's more of a sort of narrow plays a, a, a sort of more narrow formation at the time and I was the only player that he dropped when he came in. So I had to fight for his trust and I got his trust again and I played and then, and then I got my chance and I got sent off after about 25 minutes and on my return. Uh, and then I fought again and I got back in and I did okay. And then I was out again. It was just, I was just in and out and I don't think it was a complete failure. Like I, I felt like I contributed and I got offered a new, a new contract as well. Um, but I think it was a mix of my confidence being dented. I was on as I, I was on flying when I was at fourth. My confidence being dented. The higher level was just it was, it was difficult. You had to be on your game, your game the whole time. And there's always an element of chance in football that if, if things have went my way, you never know, you never know. But I probably in in, in the grand scheme of things, I look at it, it probably just just was a, a step too far. When I look back in my career, it probably was just that, that little that little push too far. I think. It's hard to pinpoint one reason why it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. You you mentioned that red card there. Um, I, I actually I was doing a wee bit of my research the other day, um, and I, I was watching the game. I think it was Rafe Rovers away, right? And um, they've they've just got a penalty. I'm sure Cal Elliott's dived or something mm-hmm. to get the penalty. DJ saved it, and then you've ended up clearing the ball. And it, like, do you remember it personally? Because it, it looks like you've just kind of kicked the ball off him and he's gone down again like he's been caught and, and you're absolutely baffled you can tell by your reaction it was one of the I've, 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 I barely get booked I'm not, I'm not a dirty player I don't really tackle very often but the, the penalty was unjust I remember that it was a dive good save for DJ he was on fire with penalties that season and then the balls came out and the balls because the ball was high the ball was goal was a bit off the, I've just went for the ball and I've hit the ball to be fair Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was a dangerous tackle. And I remember just thinking, oh, it's just a hard, but fair tackle. And then I remember 
them just steaming in, like Rafe players steaming in. I was just like, what's going on? I remember the linesman shouting red and this headpiece going red, red, red. And I knew that it was obviously going to come then. But it was just, again, those little things. If that had been my way, I might, we might have won the game. I might have got a run in the team. And then that just curtailed everything. I was out, out for another few because of that, that, that red card. And I remember my dad, actually. <laughs> my dad was, he obviously loves football. I remember he's seen Callum Elliott in the Jam House. Edinburgh and he was he was saying, you got my son sent off or something like that. It just the most cringy thing ever that I said, Dad, don't you ever, ever do that again. But yeah, probably said how I felt to be fair. It was those little things, those little things that if they go your way, you never know what can happen. But it wasn't to be. I was sent off and uh, that was me again for another few months and I had to fight for my place again just to, to get a sniff. So you, so you mentioned there about being offered a new contract, but you obviously ended up going back to Forfar. How, how again did that did that come about? I think Dick, Dick Campbell's still there, of course. Yeah, it was Dick, Dick sang me three times. To be fair, he's, he's always been good with a deal for me. But at the time, I was twenty three, going on twenty four, and my I was I was earning nothing. I was staying in mum and dad's garage. Um, friends were getting houses or moving on with their life, and. And then I, I didn't really enjoy the full-time thing. Like, I like to keep my mind busy. I like to keep doing things. And I felt like I was struggling to keep myself stimulated, my, my, my brain stimulated, just going in full-time. Because full-time, you go in Monday and you do it. You're there till early afternoon. And then you can do a bit extra, but if your car mates are Mark McNulty and Scoogle, and they drove, I had to go home with them. So they wanted to go. So Monday, you're, you're half day. You've got a whole rest of the day to do nothing. Tuesday, you're a full session, but a full session, you finish by three. Um, and Wednesday, your day off. Thursday, same as Tuesday. Friday, even earlier than the Monday. So you've got so much dead time. I hated the dead time, especially when I wasn't. It made me think about things like, where am I going with my life, my career? I'm not earning anything. So I think I made the decision, I think, prior to the season, that I'm going to go part-time again and try and get a career going. And I was going to go to Brecon uh, City, who tried to sign me the previous year, but I just end up going back to back to Dick Campbell just I don't know I, I was, I've said to myself I'm not going to go back and then I think he just he offered me the same deal and I said no I've agreed with Breakin and then he was like well we can't offer you anymore take it or leave it and I was just like I just told you I've agreed with, I can't with Breakin and he phoned me like an hour later he's like right I'll give you this much more money and then I was like all right, all right okay so it was more it was more of a financial thing and also I knew the players at Forfar the most mm-hmm. of them were still the same and it was an experienced set of boys and knew the club well and the fans quite liked me and just out of sheer comfort it was a, it was also a good deal financially I just thought yeah I'll go I'll go back and, and I'll see what happens and I, I've, I enjoyed it and I went back to be fair. So at, at this point then you're mentioning you know you don't know what to do with with your career and things is, is this at the point where you start to get into teaching? Yeah I kind of like went to university sports science uh, didn't really see myself. I didn't. I was an average student. I think if you're in sports science, you need to be top of the class and that, that few jobs in that field. And I wasn't. And I always enjoyed working with children. I liked doing a lot of the community stuff at clubs. I never applied for loads of jobs. Didn't get here back from any. Tried to get experience. Ended up working in Forrester High School. And it was a job that was advertised as a school support worker. So it was like you're working with the kids. But the job was actually an office job, basically. It was an admin, basically, in the office. And they told you that right at the start of the interview. They said, by the way, we've had a few people in who've had misconceptions just to say this is what the job is. 
Um, are you okay with that? And I was that desperate for a job. I was just like, yeah, 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 fine, absolutely. So that interview, I just whimmed that interview, just talking nonsense. But that gave me a foothold because I then managed to get a job on the back of that support assistant at a primary school. And I loved, I always saw myself doing PE teaching at a high school, but I loved working with the wee ones. thought they were funny. Just like enthusiastic. No, like they've got, well, they've got a bad attitude sometimes, but compared to high school teenagers, you know, their attitudes were superb. And from that, I sort of went to uni on, like after a couple of years and did a postgraduate in, in teaching. And it's just been sort of gradual step by step. And a primary school teacher, I'm actually a fully qualified primary school teacher. Now I teach PE in primary school, which is just, honestly, it's an ideal job. It's much it's much better than teaching primary, like just a normal primary school teacher because the workload of a primary school teacher is just, I underestimated it. Just, for example, you've got a maths class. You're teaching maths, you've got five different levels. You've got to have five different lessons within one lesson. That's just one part of your day. Same with literacy, same English. So you're just like so hard, you're tearing your hair out doing that. I was up to the early hours when I was studying and to the, when I was, so I'm so glad that now I'm teaching PE. I've got a bit more expertise. I can, I can kind of wing it sometimes because I've got a bit more knowledge in terms of sport than the average, the average person. So how are you sort of balancing this at the same time as, as doing football? You know, at the time you're saying you're, you're studying and you're up late nights and doing all this. How are you balancing that to them? Football almost comes a, a hobby then, doesn't it? Yeah, it was more my sort of, because it was only a few years ago that I graduated. So like when I first went back to for the first two years, I think to 2016, 2015 maybe, I was still just working in schools as a support assistant, working with kids and you clock in at nine, you go out at three when the school day finishes when you're a, a support assistant. So that was, that was easy enough. Enjoyed working kids. I didn't have to plan any lessons or anything like that. I was just helping them, assist them um, with, with tasks. And then that was fine. So for the first two years, easy enough. Up the training. I think it was difficult when I went to uni because you do postgrads are really intense. You, you go in placement. I was based in, I went to Dundee University, which I only chose because Forfar, close to Forfar, we trained at Kinross. So it was easy enough. I'd go and do my studies and then. You know, I was actually a first-class student in my second time at uni because I had that much time to kill from my lectures till training that I would just go in the library and study, 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 and then go. And that was, it was quite an intense year, that. But the year after, that's when I signed for our broth. That was an intense year. That was my first year in teaching. It was, I was, I was fatigued. I was genuinely, it was hard to get myself up for training, to G myself for training. I was just physically and mentally drained. Um, and it probably had an effect on my form. But I mean, I'm not, there's other players that are in the same position, you know, doing physical labour jobs, hard labour jobs. And we've got Liam Watt on our team now, who's uh, a labourer. You can see that he's shattered sometimes at training because he's, he's shifting bricks all day. So we've all got our, all our challenges and you just need to, if you want it enough, you just, you've just got to, you've just got to play through and get through it. But it's definitely taught me how to organise your time. Um, how to, to, to organise your life a bit better because you see a lot of full-time players that come down and within a year or two they're just like fuck this I can't honestly yeah. I can't I can't balance both I think I've learned to, to sort of to live with it So obviously you've played both part-time and full-time level what, what would you say are the, the kind of main differences would you say that the players are a lot better or 
is, is there is there that much of a difference? Because we've seen guys make this make the step up. You know, for example, as a Livy fan, I've seen guys like Scott Pittman come up for I think it was Broxburn Juniors or something. He's just made the step up. Think there, there, there's good enough players in the the lower leagues. No, hundred percent. Yeah, there's loads of there's players I play with and I've done lower leagues who are better than a lot of the players I share the dressing room with Livingston. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to who you know. And football is always a big thing. Who you know, who likes you. Um, I think that your mentality is probably the biggest thing. I think the confidence. If you believe, if you've got that belief in yourself, you don't overthink things. I think even you look at players like Lee Griffiths, for example. He just believes he's going to score. He just knows he's going to score. Is he faster than most players? Probably not. Is he fitter than most players? Probably not, but he's just got that belief in himself. I think that is so important. I think that's probably more so than fitness is your mentality uh, to succeed. And a lot of it, the main differences, I think, as well, that I think there's a lot, it's a bit more selfish at full time because it's your only career and it's not like you've got, you're not playing for the enjoyment per se. You might enjoy it, but it's not for the enjoyment, it's your career. And you have to, it's a dog eat dog nature. I think. Yeah, again, you have to have that mentality to survive. It's not all friends. Love, you're not all. You're not all friends in the dressing rooms. And part time, it's more. It's more of a side thing. I think for a lot of players, it's just that we come because we enjoy this. We play because we enjoy. It. Yes, we make money from it, but we play mainly because because we enjoy it. And we're not. We're not. We're not after each other's position as much as maybe uh, at full time. You you did very well personally, and uh, I think it was your first season back at four for three points off winning the league. Is that right? Yeah, um, and then you, you you did well in the playoffs. I think it was a, a three. You beat you beat Alloa three one, and then just the, the second leg. I don't know. I think you're beating three now. I don't, I don't know what happened there. Is that sort of a a, a tough moment for you to take? Um, get getting so close to promotion and then just not not seeing it through. Yeah, probably still to this day the the worst moment, the toughest moment, and. My career was that day, but even that season, we, we overperformed. We had a, a really old team, experienced team that had been there and done it, but they were old and solid. And we had been written off. I think a lot of people tipped us for relegation, and we were so close to winning the league mm-hmm. um, that season with two full time teams in it, Dunfermline and um, Greenwich Morton. But then we, the playoffs, we managed to upset our Lord, saying the home leg 3 1. And then we're going down there, not thinking it was done, but thinking. Uh, barring a disaster we're probably going to go up here and we did well for the first 42, 43 right up to the stoppage time in the first half and I remember Michael Chopra who was who was there just just created something out of nothing just a bit, bit of quality that's why he played in the Premier League in the Championship down, down south and from that moment onwards we just got nervous I think and boys even like, like Rab Douglas who was a player of the year probably and Darren Dodds and Stuart Malcolm as well, so solid all year. There was a misunderstanding. I think Rabs came, missed it, and then they've scored. And then he just felt momentum shift. Even though they got a man sent off, they scored late. And I just remember just sinking my knees. It's just awful. Like we thought this was not done, but we were very confident that we were, we were going to go up. And I. At that stage, I'd not really experienced any success in terms of we'd been beaten in the previous year by Dunfermline in the playoffs after being up 3-1, then that. and ah, it, was, it, was, it was dead tough to take. Uh, just 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 not what you want to be experienced. And I've experienced relegation since, and I've experienced mispromotion since, but that one definitely sticks out. 
Yeah, so it must be, again, tough to go from that. You know, you're, you're three points off winning the league. You say you were maybe overachieving, but surely surely can't have been overachieving as much to, well, well you went down in 10th uh, the following season. Dick Campbell's obviously sacked as well. It must have been a, a tough one for you as well, obviously. Seem seemed to really like him. Mm-hmm. It was tough. I think there was maybe one season too much for a lot of the players. As I said, they were quite old before, and now they were another year older. And um, We started well. We started well. We, we scored a couple of goals. Uh, we won a, a few games. I'd scored a couple of goals. And then some, we just, no, we just fell off a, I don't know, fell off a cliff. It was like five or six games in a row where we, we couldn't win. And then Dick, Dick got the sack. But we were still like sixth position or something like that because we'd started well. And it was quite a shock to see him sack because I think he brought Forfa from the foot of League Two to close to going to the Championship. And it doesn't really take things lying down. And there's a lot of block players that were very loyal to him like Rab and Mark Baxter, the full but there was a lot of players, the son of were very loyal to him and they felt pissed off with it and how it was handled. Because I think even after that, I don't know the full story because I'm only a player. Apparently Stuart Petrie, who's Nightman Trolls, was, who was a coach under Dick, he was promised a job and then a day later he was told, nah, you're, you're getting sacked as well. Uh, and then bowling came in. So it was like, a, it was like an awkward environment. Rab said, I'm not playing because you because of the way you've conducted yourself to the, the board and just a bit of a toxic place to be. Bowling came in probably with the wrong attitude because I got on with bowling but at the time I left I got on with bowling. But at the time he came in it was you guys have let the manager down, I'm just gonna run you training was just horrible. It wasn't a fun place to be around. Um he didn't really look to, to build bridges at the time and let go a few players that could have been useful. Um and we ended up just, we just couldn't win. The momentum just kept going. It wasn't like we weren't trying. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a position which is difficult to escape from. Get beat by Albion Rovers. Again, some horrible, horrible defensive mistakes. We had a real bad problem at the back that season. And do you know what? I wasn't as upset getting relegated as I was missing out on promotion. I just felt that the writing was on the wall a little bit. And Gave him all. I even had. I, I scored double figures that year. So from an individual yeah. point of view, I had, I had a good season. But I can't say I was as disappointed as I was the previous year, which is sounds mad. But I, I wasn't as disappointed that that season. I was. I know you're my contract, but I kind of wanted out out after that. I just I don't want to be part of this. But it's just one of those things. So after a playoff heartbreak, relegation, the season after that, it wasn't it wasn't a great period of my career. Saying that, you then you then went on to to get promotion the following season in League Two, and I think it was probably your best season numbers wise as well, fourteen yeah. goals something like that, um, and and Forford did brilliantly in League Two, uh, going up for the playoffs. So, but, but, so what was that like to you know, go up straight away? I was, it was it was bittersweet because uh, I had a great season individually. Um, I really enjoyed. Bowling was much better that season. He was more. He looked to build rapport with the players, and I think he, it was his team now as well. He brought in players that he wanted and shifted some of the dead weight that he didn't want. And we were leading for so long that season, eh, from the day day one to pretty much the last day. So to not go up was just devastating. To blow a little bit a thirteen point lead at some stage that was utterly devastating. Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it, but I still. To that moment, it was just it was just horrible. So in the playoffs again, 
we were down 2-0 at Annen, we came back and, and drew that game and ended up winning. And then at Peterhead, to finally get over the line, 5-1 we won, which was, yeah. was good. It was a, probably the first moment in my career where there was actually something to celebrate as a team, because we've been beaten by the playoffs, beaten, relegated, etc. To actually celebrate something as a team, which was which was great, but and I, I knew that I wanted away from Forfar in terms of I'd been there for a few years, um, had offers elsewhere, and I knew I knew I was on my way. So I just that moment was great. The, the way they appeared ahead, but still has still got that that thing in my in my throat where we should have won the league, and that'll always that'll always annoy me to to not win the league and to to go over the playoffs. It's great to go up, but to not win the league is, is, is what you want to do. You want to win the leagues, and it's what you remember rather than sneaking up by the, the back door. So, um, the end of that season, you leave for for and it's on to our broth. And again, re- reunited with Dick Campbell. Um, you mentioned a couple of stories there, um, and I've heard many on the podcast you do. Uh, what's, what's he like as a guy? What's he, he's an absolute legend in the lower leagues. What's he like to, to work under? It's just, it's just unpredictable. It's predictable, but uh, but also unpredictable at the same time. If you know what I mean, he's, you know he's going to come and do this team talk. He's got sayings that he'll say every time, but then he'll chuck in something else. Like he'll, he'll always say, get the bugle out, which means sound a horn and get push up to the halfway line pretty much. Uh, he'll always say, get stuck and get the Bennett, get, the, get the, your, your opponent on the Bennett and then get another one on the Bennett and slide them along. Uh, and he'll just come up with these sayings, and it's hilarious. And then he's 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 just uh, he's infectious. He'll say isn't funny because he said it, and the way he's delivered it, it's just it's just hilarious. And uh, just random stuff like just like Mark Walton, and everyone barking at Mark Walton's face, calling him the dog. And it was just like, what is he doing here? It was just just interesting, interesting man. But the re- one of the reasons why I went back is because he's. I want to enjoy football. I want to just enjoy it again. Without the age where I'm teaching is my main priority. I want to enjoy football. And yeah. There's never a dull moment. There is never ever a dull moment where I'm in team talks and we just the way you'll come and just join the crack with the boys. In terms of you just know there's going to be a bit of gold each time. And it's it's it's, it's his brother as well. The pair of them just bounce off each other. Well, Pink's more academic, more switched on, but the pair of them they just. They start like toy fighting each other in the changing room, and yeah, that's huge. You know, I mean, pink, it's just old men, really, just fighting each other. Oh. Like, put bets on the truck money on the phone, I'll do this to you. It's, it's just <laughs> old, old school as hell, old school as hell. Not the most politically correct changing room in the world, but, but um, I, I joy to play for most of the time. So, what, what's the script with the, with the traveling and things at, at, at this point? Because you, you're obviously an Edinburgh lad, but you've played most of your career for, for Angus clubs. What, what's the script for, like, you know, away games, travelling to training and match days and all that? Obviously, you must must have done a fair bit in, in your time. Uh, yeah, well, it's not as bad as you'd imagine because at Arbroath and Forth, for a lot of these teams, they train in the central belt because a lot of the players are from Fife, etc. So, mm. at Arbroath, we were trained in Perth. Perth, yeah, trained in Perth. And I worked at the time in Dunfermline. So getting to from Dunfermline to Perth was half an hour drive. Obviously, you get back late in the house. But I just became used to it, I think, with four for an hour growth. You just become used to it. In terms of a way, they've seen a Saturday. I've footballed in my life for years now. 
Saturday's just football day. So like, like it doesn't matter how long you got to travel. Like, it's just part of it. It's just, it's just you block that time out anyway. It's difficult when games get suspended, uh, postponed. I remember having to go to Stranraer on a Tuesday night during a critical point in my probation year and not being able to leave the school early, obviously, because it was that was my main priority. I have to teach the kids. Can't just leave them teaching themselves. So having to get a, a I think one of the directors took me and Tam O'Brien down a Range Rover, speeding down, overtaking dangerous road. Does it Stranraer? Horrible, horrible experience. And then you're not back up the road again till till two in the morning or whatever and you've got to go work and have the kids take the piss out of you again for another day so that that was that was a that that's that's a difficult aspect of it but I think it did come to time recently it's came to a stage now where I was like it is it's a little pain in the arse and I've been thinking about it more recently that's one of the reasons why I did end up going to these fight because in Edinburgh um, it is something that I've had to contend with but I just, just think over the time I played with these clubs just became the norm just became used to adapted to it and I couldn't anything else would have probably felt strange at the time you mentioned as well what what, what are the away days and things like you mentioned um one of one of your blogs the, the camel trek i think it is mm-hmm. um, obviously going from from where you are to down to stranor or up to peterhead and things what, what's that like um it's long long days those ones are the ones you're like peterhead's um Peterhead's good because Peterhead have an unbelievable selection of food after the game. Like unbelievable, I'm talking like everything you want, proper buffet, um, all put out for you. They serve you. No, I don't want that. I'll have a bit of that. They'll give you that instead. Um, it wasn't so good last time because I was on a vegan diet last time I went up. So I just had to hang it to the Christmas dinner and I asked them up because it was in the build up to Christmas. So it was like all the turkey, etc., pigs in blankets. Oh, no. I was on the Brussels sprouts in the I think roast potatoes or something like that. Or I don't know. I wasn't eating any any of the stuff they were eating. But they, Peterhead's good for that, and it's a good pitch, Peterhead. So you look forward to that one. But the travel itself is you know so early. Um, depends. The patter can be good on the way up. You can get some an absolute great laugh on the, on the bus on the way up. Like boys just obviously slaughtering each other, as footballers do. Just like I'm, I'm a mature guy, but when you're in, in that environment, you just act like a little chimp, and that's what it's like. Twenty chimps at the back of the bus just flinging shit at each other. It's, it's it, that's that's great, and I will miss that. Um, but it's a long, long day. Um, especially obviously, if you I think you've probably sorry. Especially if you lose as well. Oh, hundred percent. I've been lucky. The last few ones I've done, we've tend to have done all right, and we've won. But if you lose that game. You've got an angry manager that can't give you laughing on the way back, and it's, it's a long, long way, um, a long way to go when you with nobody talking at the back of the bus. So, no, it's good if you win. I've been lucky the last few; we've done well, and you can have a laugh. Gone are the days where you can have a have a drink on the on the bus on the way back. I think that in my early days, I think they would usually allow that, but those days are gone. But the, but the crack's still there. Still get a good laugh. I've done it many a time as a fan. You know, coming back. After after a defeat like Inverness or Stranraer or Peterhead, it's an absolute nightmare. Can imagine you bitching about the players on the way back. We're we're also bitching about Absolutely. bitching about stuff that goes on in the game. Um, it's not it's not it's not fun as a fan either. But at least um, at least you're not to blame for the for the result. Uh, you can <laughs> there's no guilt there's no guilt involved. You've given oh. supported the boys. So. Um, you had, you had a very good first season when you were at Arbroath. Um, again, scoring lots of goals, but unfortunately you, you got beat by Dumbarton in the playoffs. 
Sorry, sorry, a theme of playoff heartache here. Um, must have, he must have been a, a, a bit gutted again. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, again, I was at this point in my. This was my first year properly teaching, probation teaching. I was struggling with that and with the football balancing it. I was fatigued and I was ill a lot in the second half of that season. Mm-hmm. So the Dumbarton game, I remember it coming along and I wasn't feeling great and I probably didn't play as well as I would have hoped to have played. And but, you know, we probably overachieved. I wouldn't say we overachieved, but the players we got, which we evidently showed the season later, we got to a position where probably expected we expected to be in the playoffs. But I think we were, again, predicted to go down. Um, so I think the fans were relatively happy to get there. But in yeah. terms of the playoffs, the Barton weren't a great sign. It, it was an opportunity missed for us for us that, that season. We should have really went on to, to beat Dumbarton. You've seen Aloha kind of disposed of them quite easily in the, in, in the final. So... No, that was disappointing. I mean, again, as I say, I didn't get have much. I've only success I had up to that stage was before far, and that was a bit bittersweet. So again, it was another another playoff disappointment. But all it did was make the gaffer hungrier uh, to succeed next year, and they made sure we knew about that. And he he brought in just I, I, he kept the squad very similar. I know you're together, but also brought in a couple of really important players. DJ being one, the keeper, obviously that you would have. In the final for Livingston, he was really good for us, and and Jason Thompson, who who was who was superb for us, and didn't really bring in any. Just kept the, the squad the squad the yeah. same, and we went on to obviously, obviously go on that step further in the, the next season. Yes, you mentioned that there. You absolutely squished the league, and it was a a brilliant achievement in itself. But more so because Wraith are obviously a full time team. And you, you've totally battered them to, was it 12 points clear or something like that? I think so. I think when we confirmed the league, it was 12 points. And then after that, the gaffer was just like, don't even bother training, just one training session a week. Because we won the league, so it wasn't even that fast. But that season was great. We just, we were hungry. We had that, we had that they were so hungry for that championship. And I was, I was like, playoffs probably still be all right. Like in my head, my pragmatic side, but. There's no reason why we couldn't go and do it, I and mean, that's what we went on to do. And we picked up. We just seemed to be so solid. Jason Thompson at the back. We already had Tam O'Brien, who's, in my opinion, the best defender in outside of the Premier League. I, w- I wanted Livingston to sign O'Brien this season. I, I really rate him. I think he's brilliant. Yeah, he, he's honestly superb. And I, I'm biased because he's my friend, but I've never, I've not played with many better. But that defence so solid. And then you had Bobby Lynn, who was kind of inconsistent the previous year, and he just seemed to just just go fire and he was just incredible at training incredible in games and we just kept winning and winning and winning and the stuff that Rafe was saying in the press John McGlynn and um, some of the players kind of really just fueled that fire they were so disrespectful about a lot of the things they were saying about us or oh, if we hadn't had this boy injured we, they wouldn't be this clear um, I remember they played us we got a man sent off and they beat us 2-0 and they cut the gap from 12 to 9 points Christmas time and they were giving they were giving it to all A's, the fans when they were passing around us with ten men, and um, they're jumping into the fans, giving it to the big licks, and I was just all of us at that point were just like, I will see what's happen, what happens at the end of the season. Next again week they get beat by someone like Stenis Muir, and we win twelve points, so didn't make a fucking difference. Um, yeah. That result at the end of the day, but it was just little things like that, and they were tweeting about it, and they just thought, well, we just kept quiet. And just every week, just did a business, did a business, did a business. And we were never really in any doubt. We never, never came that close. We kind of, our form started, but Rafe never took that opportunity to close it. I mean, we, we dropped points. 
if they had won every game, they might have, have, have come close. But we, uh, we, we were just we were just brilliant that year. From I think every player contributed in, in some way, and the season that will, even though probably from my individual point of view, it was probably wasn't my best season, but it's my proudest proudest moment of football. Was definitely winning the league that I broke. Yeah, they, they were absolutely brilliant that year, and then obviously this season, the, the following year, they they've gone on to do arguably even better because it's in the championship. They're, they're doing brilliantly at the moment. Does that obviously as a player? Who's played with those? Well, the majority of those group of boys. Does that does that surprise you, or or could you definitely see them staying up and holding their own? Uh, surprise! It doesn't surprise me. I, I thought they would stay up, but I didn't know, realize they would come so close to promotion, the promotion playoffs. The squad they've got. I mean, we talked about Tam already. I think he's the best centre half in that league. Jason Thompson's been there, done it. Ricky Little's another one underrated, and you've got solid players, like underrated players, all over all over that pitch. I think people get the idea that because teams like Aloha, Arbroath are part-time, they don't have the players as good as the full-time ones. But even at Aloha, I mean, you look at their team, I've spoke to a few, Trout and then Collie and Flanagan, these guys can all hold their own by a lot of these full-time boys. And it hasn't surprised me um, that they've stayed up. Maybe surprised me that they've pushed for promotion. But they've, again, they've, they've bolstered the bolstered the squad. They've got Craig White and then, who, although Hearts fans will be on him, he's clearly... A good, a very good championship player, and James Craig in another one, and Dale Hilson. Just, just they've just got good quality players, and they've got good personalities, and that's sometimes undervalued. I think, as I say, a lot of these full-time teams uh, will have personalities where selfish, egotistical, out for themselves. Where these, a lot of these, these this boy, this dressing room is just full of boys with the right mindset. They're all in it for each other. They're not. They're not trying to spite other players. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a surprise to me to see them comfortable in that league, but I didn't think they would, I genuinely didn't think they would be in fourth or whatever it was when, when, the, when the, the league came to a head. You, you see yeah. a lot with, with good dressing rooms. Um, often, if, if you've got a good dressing room, you know, you do well on the pitch. Yeah. It's, honestly, it's not rocket science. I think, I think a lot of play managers overthink things. I mean, Campbell... That's what he does. Every dressing room that he builds, he builds on personalities. He makes sure he gets guys that are in this, the dressing room that are not arseholes. And no other, I think no other manager would, would have that policy in terms of if the player's good, he'll sign them, arsehole or not. If he's a good player, he'll get signed. But the effects of that on the other boys in the team can be really detrimental. Like People will not chase or chase for a selfish player. They won't. They won't do extra running sometimes, and it will it will it will sort of filter through the team. If he's lazy, then other players might be a bit lazy. It will filter through the team, and there's not one bad egg in that that are both dressing room. Nobody that could be led astray. And I think I look at most teams, and I, I don't see that to be the case. I think every team's usually got a couple of bad eggs in them, but that's probably the one dressing room that's not. So um, the end of that season, you ended up leaving our both. How, how did you obviously moved on to East Fife? How did, how did that all come about? Was it just, you mentioned a wee bit about location and things. So that, does that yeah. come into it? A few things. I was going to stay at Arbroath. I was thinking about it. I got offered a deal and um, I was planning to stay, but I was kind of towards the end of Arbroath. I was in and out. I was starting, I was probably starting every second game. And I was never the age where I just, I, I want to go and just, I'm approaching 30, just want to go and play now. Um, yeah. I've won the league, but I'm happy with that. 
I did the championship with Livingston, didn't necessarily enjoy that much. Um, I want, I want, I want a new challenge. I kind of thought, and I wanted again. It just helped it, a team like East Fife. They trained in Edinburgh. Um, I knew, so, I knew it was a good dressing room. I knew it was a good. Probably underestimated how good a community club it was, and I found it out as I've as I've been there. But I knew it would, would be a good fit for me in terms of, in terms of that that regard. I just thought it was probably time time to play because I, I think I'm 29 year old. Need to need to just go and play, and that was probably my rationale. Sometimes I think, oh, maybe should have stayed at Arbroath, but to be fair, because seeing what they've done, they've been superb. And I would maybe have liked to be a part of that, but at the same time, I've I've enjoyed the the environment he's faced. And an enjoyable place to be. So yeah, just just touching on that, how how are you finding it there? Obviously, you're working under a manager who I personally really rate, uh, Darren Young. What what what's he like to work under? And sort of with, with what's going on, you are you're doing brilliantly. I think you're two points off Montrose or something. So again, that that must yeah. be a wee bit of a gutter to, to you know, as as the season's now ended, there'll be no playoffs. Yeah, it's been it's one of the, it's. It's one of them where we're a bit got only six points off the top of the league as well. It was so yeah. tight. The top five, it was like a top five, bottom five of that league. There was a big gap between the top five and the bottom five. And Darren Young is he's def, very different from from Dick Campbell. Very different. He's 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 not as loud and abrasive and in your face as uh, as, as as Dick is. He's more sort of. probably thoughtful and, and and tactical. Training training very good. Training again. Brilliant training sessions, well thought. Whenever we play someone there, it's the training is to how we we'll play and we work on things, and it's it's quite interesting to see from because I would at one stage maybe go into to be a coach. It's interesting to see how they think about that and how they and how they they cater and adapt training to fit certain situations. Um, he's he's a very very uh, a, a very good man. Like in terms of you, you chat to you. Um, Humble, um, easy to speak to. Um, he's he's obviously been tipped for some top jobs and hasn't quite got them. But I think you look at the job he's done with Fife. I think our budget compared to other league teams in the league and League Two, it's probably down the lower side, and he's managed mm-hmm. to have us competing up at the top end of the table. So no, I've I've really enjoyed. It. I was it was a slow start for me. I was injured for the first month or two, and I've kind of had to fight my way in. And I've got in just before this coronavirus came in. I was I scored a few goals and. I was on form, and then the pandemic starts. So we've got it from from that point of view. And as I say, the playoffs were in reach. But um, in terms of the dressing room, I fitted in really well. Um, some good characters. Again, you've got guys like Chris Higgins and Kevin Smith, like guys that are experienced, and I've learned a lot from. And you've got um, you've got a fair few idiots like Brett Long as well that, that are enjoyable to, to share company with because nonsense. But no, it's been it's been it's been an enjoyable experience so far, and I've. I'm glad to see I've got another year there, and we'll see what happens when this pandemic passes. I hope it comes it goes away sooner rather than later, um, because I'm, I'm dying to get back to it. You, you mentioned you've got another year there. Um, how long? How long are you sort of planning to keep playing? And then, obviously, obviously, you, you do your teaching and things. But do you, do you feel that you've got a, a life in football after you finish playing? Difficult one. I, I want to play for as long as I can play because. Well, as long as I feel that I'm contributing, I don't want to be this guy to keep around who's just because he's a nice guy and he's, he's good around the dressing room, mm-hmm. which I feel I am. But if, if I feel I'm not contributing and I don't feel like, if I, and I feel like I'm not good enough to be at that level, then I'll, I'll maybe maybe pack it in. But I think I'll wait till the manager says, listen, there's no deal here for you, sir. 
and then you can go. But I'm enjoying it at the moment. I'm only, I always say that I'm, I'm winding down, but I'm not. I'm only, I'm not 30 till August, and I'm still quick. I did running the other day with Mark McNulty, the boy David Gold, and I was just as fast, fit and fast as anybody on the peak of their career. So I feel like I'm still fit enough. It just depends when. When when the, when the leg stops, my game, as I say, is based on pace. It's, it's based on speed. So we'll see what happens with that. As in terms of when it when it does, when I do wind down. I'm, coaching's a weird one. I'm not sure if I'm. I like to. I'd like. I'd like to have a go at it, but I'm not sure how serious I, I feel about it. I think um, I prefer probably teaching younger children. But you never know. I've not done any coaching badges like the UFRB or anything like that. It might be something. To think about. I do. I am interested. I'm really interested in in how managers and how coaches put on sessions and why they do it and how they communicate. But do I seem that I'm not? I'm not so sure. So uh, just coming onto your podcast now, um, Lower League Ramblings. Personally, I'm a really big fan of it. I think it's a great idea. Um, for for people that maybe haven't haven't heard of the podcast, um, how how would you sort of describe it and how did, how did the idea come about? I appreciate you saying that. Um, just honestly, I'm, as I say, I, when I went into football, I was more a Hearts fan. I wasn't a lower league fan per se. But since I've been there for so long, I, I've, I love it. I love a, a, lot, a lot of the stadiums, a lot of the places, a lot of the community clubs, a lot of the people that you get in the game that you don't get full time. Mm-hmm. I love talking football. I love chatting football. And it's just given me a chance to just, just sit down and, Obviously, I started writing before. I was doing write, written stuff before the podcast started, and people seemed to enjoy that. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've always I've always enjoyed listening to podcasts since I was at uni. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I, I'd like to do myself. I just didn't know how to do it. And then I just thought, you know what? I'll go with this. And all, all, I, all we do is we just chat about, sometimes we chat about players' careers, sometimes we just chat about certain incidents that happen in football and have a wee debate about it. But I just enjoy figuring out the mentality be, behind or the person behind behind the player, even at lower league level, there's some good stories to be told, and there's not many outlets which explore sort of the lower league. So you've got the terrace, which is on the TV now, which is very good for it, and oh. certain um, there's there's certain podcasts that do, but in terms of mainstream, there's there's not much. And I feel as well that I've got a unique a unique perspective in terms that I'm I'm in the dressing room, so. I kind of know what things yeah. occur that some others might not. So, what I see how far I can go with that. And listen, I want, I'd like to do something in the media at some stage. I enjoy it. I enjoy, I enjoy uh, chatting. I enjoy writing. Uh, I enjoy being the centre of attention. I love, I love uh, when people are talking about me, as <laughs> my tweets would suggest. So, no, long may it continue. But I'm glad you enjoy it. Glad you enjoy it. Got a good one on Wednesday coming out. James Dale, it's a good laugh. Plenty of Dick Campbell stories in that one. Brilliant. Um, the Speak just on that. Do you, do you have a favourite guest uh, personally? I've uh, over lockdown as well as obviously the the Levy guests in the past. I've I've loved it. Over lockdown, jo- John Rankin was unreal. Like I was I was sharing that with my mates and stuff. I thought it was brilliant. Um, some of his the Man United ones and stuff. Yeah, tremendous, yeah. tremendous. Like, and I didn't. I don't know John. I've played against him. I don't know him. But I've looked into his career and I've seen how crazy it was. And I was just, this is mental. Didn't expect, though, for him to be 40 minutes in. And he hadn't said it. He hadn't even got to his first professional appearance. Uh-huh. He talked about Brazil that so long. I wish I'd had more time. But he that, that was one of the guests that stands out. Just not only that, but like his attitude in terms of being busy, not caring what people think, 
because in football there's in Scottish football there's this whole tendency to to being busy is uh, seen as a negative being yeah. doing extra is a negative eating right seen as a negative I'm not saying you need to be like John Rankin and never eat anything bad ever that she or for one week of the year would eat something bad but it was interesting to hear his perspective on that and it's the same with Sean Dillon who I had on he's very similar and I think there's a lot of youth players today um, who who, who who think that talent alone and is is enough and, and don't put that work in. So those two stood out. I like it's also I just like having people on their pals as well. Because so I've got loads of pals in football and it's good time for me to catch up with them and have, and have a chat. I only get I'd say I only get people on that I know that I respect or that I like. I, I don't want to I don't want because I'm doing this for free, you're doing this for free. It's not like we're getting paid. You want to enjoy it. So I get people on that I know I'm gonna have a good crack with, a good chat with. So Enjoy Bobby. Having Bobby Lynn on is always good. Yeah. Enjoy speaking to him. Um, I sp- enjoy speaking to. Uh, I enjoy speaking to Tony Watt. He was an interesting character. He was great, yeah. Um, yeah, and really just I feel that yeah. like he's 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 not a good one, but he doesn't sit on the fence. Um, he he doesn't he, he's another one that he's st- strong minded and won't let what other people say about him affect him because he does get a lot of hate. I'd imagine from from Rangers fans or Celtic fans are disappointed they never kicked on after he scored that winner. So, no, it's just getting people that I, I, I like and respect on and I, I, I love it. It's really helped to keep me busy during lockdown, actually. It's helped, aside of the teaching stuff, it's, it's another avenue that, that that's, that's helped keep me sane. Um, so, yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I feel it totally changes your opinion of people as well sometimes. Because you'll, you'll see someone um, that will do something in isolation and you'll think, oh, what a wanker they are. They'll do something in the heat of the moment and then, you know, in a game and you'll think, oh, the state of this guy. But then you speak, because even like David Cox, for example, where, where I played with Forfa and I didn't get on with David Cox a lot of the time, a lot of the time, but there's a side them, there's a human side them that's good. And a lot of the players I've, I've spoke to, um, they've listened to that one I've said, or oh, I've played against Cox, he was a wee dick and I played against him, but I listened to them I resonate with a lot of the stuff he's saying and I empathise with the situation he's going with the mental health stuff and it does help you see that side and helps you maybe think why the person behaves in a certain way that way and at the end of the day there's more good in people than bad and I think you'll find that with most guests that um, you'll start resonating with the human side. So you, you mentioned a wee bit as well about your write, the writing side of things and um, you had a wee BBC column uh, which, was, which was brilliant for you and you also do as well as the, the Low League Ramblings podcast, you've got like a, a blog thing for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, release one today, I read the, the Mad Goalies one. Yeah. Well, oh, that was quality because I'm, I'm, well, I'm a keeper, keeper myself, a, a terrible standard. I'm just a uni keeper. But uh, I, don't know, I, I thought that was a great read in the, the wash bag one the other week as well. Uh, the wash bag one's been on my mind for ages. It's just something that annoys me. Something that annoys me. It gives me, do what's great is because I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, if you put me in a ring with someone, I'd get absolutely battered. But I can, I can vent from a keyboard. I can, I can slaughter boys in, on a on a po- on a podcast or a on a blog, but in my in the safety of my own home. So, but jokes aside, no, I, I do, I do, I do love the writing. Writing is a good thing to to keep myself sharp. I get my literacy skills sharp. But I enjoy it. I enjoy the BBC thing is difficult because you can't obviously name products, um, or you can't swear, or you can't. Do- probably don't go and sometimes adds to the humour a wee bit so it's a, it's a bit of censorship goes on with them but 
I still, I, 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 they're, they're grand. If I've got an idea and I pitch it to them, they're, they're quite easy to go with. Nutmeg's another one, great magazine that I've, that I've uh, let me write a few pieces for them. Um, there's another magazine that's just start Stonewaller magazine that's this, this, like loads of cool publications that have came to me and said, could you do a bit for us? And I'm honoured to be a part of it. And it's good as well to get the feedback from, I think the fans like it, and I think the fellow players like it. Um, and that always helps, you know, as I say, the tensions, the tension, I do like a bit of tension. I'm like a needy little teenager sometimes. So a little notification, a little blue notification in my Twitter feed keeps me going. But in all seriousness, I, no, I really enjoy it. And the main thing, as I say, keeps me busy. Keep that podcasting, teaching football. Just keeps keeps me not thinking about how mental the situation is right now and how ugly the world is over in America at the moment and how much crazy stuff's going on. It just stops me thinking and wallowing about some of the shit stuff that's going on. It keeps me productive and um, I just need to come up with more ideas to write about because I'm, I'm running low at the moment. So I'm writing about goalkeepers now. I must be really struggling. I'm scraping the barrel. So um, you, you mentioned a wee bit earlier about, you know, the, the career after football. Is, is media something that you'd, you'd like to get into? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think it wasn't something that I thought about several years ago, but with all that's happened since, love it. I just love an opportunity to um, to do it, to get paid to do it. I mean, obviously I'm writing, I'm writing a column in the paper in the Sunday Mail at the moment and that pays peanuts, but it pays something. But these little things, hopefully I'll be able to scaffold them. And at one stage, maybe someone will take a chance on me, whether that's TV, radio, some kind of line of work. And I'm still holding my skills. I, I, you listen to people on the radio, you listen to off the ball, you listen to these guys, they're brilliant. They're just so polished, so witty. Yeah. And this gives me the opportunity to, to try the podcast, to try and sharpen those skills, sharpen the questioning skills and, and get to that level one day. And hopefully, hopefully there's an avenue that someone says, yeah, we'll take a chance on him. But as I say, the football is still a few years left in the football. So when I, when I hang up the boots, I'd rather go into the media side than the coaching side. But um, we'll just see what happens. See what happens. So um, just to wrap up now, um, the, the podcast is called the, the Full-Time Whistle Podcast. So um, sort of, I, I like to look back at your career as a whole. So um, when, when you do look back on it all, obviously it's still going and things. When you look back on it all, how do you sort of, how do you sort of want to be remembered? And like, are you proud of, of what you've achieved in things in the game? Extremely proud. I was I think like, I'm I, I, I quite self-deprecating, quite hard on myself at times. See, I've been playing League One rubbish. No one really cares about it, but people do. It's a huge part of the community and these clubs. And if you look back when I was 13, 14, getting released, I never thought I'd be able to play professional football on any standard. So the fact that I've been able to, to play, to get paid to play, the game that I love, I'm so proud that I've managed to, to last so long. That's been nine years or so in professional football and, and hopefully it goes on longer. So I'm really, I'm really proud. How will I, will I be remembered? I don't think I'll be remembered, but do you know what? It doesn't bother me. How will I want to be remembered as initially someone that got the fans off their seats in my early days to take boys on and then in my latter years remembered as from my teammates as a, as a, as a good guy in the changing room, someone that uh, helped out I helped out when possible and lifted the spirits of the boys. So um, I don't really know how, I, I don't really care how I'm remembered. I've had a great time. I'm proud of what I've achieved. I don't really care what I've, how I'm remembered. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. So, uh, Danny, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time and coming on. I've really enjoyed it. Not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah, all the best with everything. No problem, right? Take care. Take care, mate. See you later. 
Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Good wee insight there into the life in the lower leagues. The struggle sometimes with part-time players, you know, managing both a job and playing football. A big thanks must go to Danny for taking the time out of his day to come on. Um, much appreciated. If you haven't listened to his podcast, Lower League Ramblings, then you know I would recommend that you do. Some very good stories and interviews over there. Anyway, as I say, thank you very much for listening. As always, follow the podcast on Twitter at the FT Whistle Pod. Share it about and let me know what you think. And take care. All the best.